Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives podcast, formerly Amanda's Wellbeing podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food fact series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer turned nutritionist. I have a passion for learning from experts about how to live a vibrant life through practicing mindfulness and meditation, eating a nourishing and healthy diet, and moving my body, and sharing what I learn with you here on this podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, please note that any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat any injuries, disease, or medical conditions, and it's never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am here with Dr. Russell Hanna, a chiropractor with a vibrant practice here in Adelaide. One of the reasons I wanted to interview Russell was to find out more about what chiropractors do and the training required to become one. Russell and I also do some myth-busting because I believe there is some uncertainty and misinformation circulating about chiropractors and what they do. And we end our chat with a brief discussion about our common passion, and that is trail running. In Australia, we have over 5,500 registered chiropractors, and around one in three Australians have visited a chiropractor, and 61% of those has, have visited in the last two years. In the spirit of transparency, I will say that I have seen Russell as a patient, as a friend recommended that I do so, and it has been a very happy association for me. He's really helped me. So let's dive in and hear more about what chiropractors do. Today I'm here with Dr. Russell Hanna. He's a chiropractor at Smart Health Practice here in Adelaide. So hi, Russell. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for coming on today. Russell, I always like to uh, start the discussion by getting to know a little bit about my guests. So I thought we'd start with some quick fire questions. So, Russell, where did you grow up? Uh, in Victoria. I moved around a fair bit because my dad was uh, a detective, ah. but settled in a little town called Ardmona, which is a fruit growing area. And is that in Victoria? That is, yeah. Yeah. And now you're in Adelaide. So maybe that story will come out during our podcast. And, Russell, what were your favourite sports growing up? I uh, played cricket, tennis, and AFL footy, but mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't much good and didn't get selected in many teams. So that's why my uh, knees are pretty good today and can do ultra distance uh, running. Excellent. <laughs> and we will certainly talk about that. And you grew up in Victoria, so I, I am assuming that you support an AFL team. Is that correct? That is correct. A and... long suffering St Kilda supporter. <gasps> oh, well. My husband and son are also, and my dog is named Lenny Hayes after the player. (laughs) Um, Russell, what are you reading at the moment? A really good book, and I've only just started, and it's called Get Run Fit. Improve your running and finish with a smile by someone we both know. Yes, yes. And I have read that book and uh, posted it on my Instagram feed. And Russell, what is your favourite meal? I am very partial to a steak and chips with a beer. Mm-hmm. And what, any vegetables apart from the chips? No, I'm pretty happy with those, those steak three things. Steak and chips. Yeah. 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 And beer. Oh, you're such a, an Aussie man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Russell, when you're not working or exercising, what do you like to do? I love spending time with my wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Excellent. that's what I love to do. Oh, that's very nice to hear. And how long have you been married? 
29 years coming up in a few weeks' wow, time. 29. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. That's well, fantastic. So, Russell, let's talk about your work as a chiropractor. And when I was looking at the website of Smart Health, where you work, I saw that before becoming a chiropractor, you completed a Bachelor of Arts majoring in the philosophy of law. So can you tell us about that? Why did you go down that path? Well, yeah, I actually started at the Trobe University in a science degree uh, when I left school and completed the first year, but I didn't really have any direction at that time. And I had a couple of friends doing philosophy of law, looked pretty interesting, so swapped across. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, it gave me a massive love of being inquisitive and a much more improved skill in writing, because mm-hmm. I was pretty rubbish at that at the time. Right. How did you get from there and decide to become a chiropractor? Well, from that point, I actually uh, finished my degree and went into television. So I became a news and current affairs editor at Channel 10 in Melbourne. And that was in the days um, when news was a really big rating show where Mm -hmm. Bruce McAvaney, Eddie Maguire, um, Stephen Quartermain, who are all still on television these days. Uh, So it was quite exciting. But then during that time in television, I didn't really, um, I couldn't really see where I was going to go in there. Um, So... I was always had a passion for science mm-hmm. and then um, thought about what can I do from there. Right. And so you chose chiropractics? Yeah, I did. I, well, yes, I always, as I say, I had a strong interest in um, science and my, my dad, who's a detective, um, gave me strong sort of investigative skills. Mm-hmm. So science was just a natural fit and I yeah. loved to understand how the natural world worked. Yeah. Um, and I had in, uh, when was it? Oh, in my early teenage years, um, because I lived on a fruit farm, did a lot of pruning and I fell out of a tree and landed really heavily and hurt my lower back and mm-hmm. coccyx area. Um, so I suffered quite significantly over a long period until my early twenties from sitting when I sat down, I was very uncomfortable. And then I saw a chiropractor and had really good success. Mm-hmm. And within a couple of visits, uh, it was pretty much resolved. Wow. So that was, uh, I think, probably the turning point for why I became a chiropractor. Yeah, because you you had witnessed personally the change that it made to your life. Correct, yeah. And that's not something I'd experienced at any time in that Mm. time. And I had consulted a number of people. Yeah. Oh, that's a great story. So how long then did it take you to become qualified? Well, it took me five years, and uh, we had a child during that time as well. Oh, right. So, did you take any time off for that, or nope, just keep just kept working straight through, plowing yeah, it was through? A bit of an accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These things happen. And Russell, you currently work in private practice at Smart Health in Adelaide, which I've mentioned. Then that's where I came across you, recommended by our mutual friend Nick Muxlow. How long have you been there, Russell? I've been at Smart Health now for nearly six years, but I've worked closely with the practitioners there for the last 12 years. Mm -hmm. I believe and understand that there are some sort of misconceptions and myths about what chiropractors do and how they're trained. So I've selected some what I would call common myths Mm -hmm. 
and I think we should do some myth busting. Sure. So I'm going to put some myths to you, Russell, and you can tell me what you think. So the first one is chiropractors are not properly scientifically trained. Well, in Australia, to be registered as a chiropractor through APRA, um, which is our registration board, uh, you have to do a five-year accredited chiropractic program, and that's conducted at a university. And in most cases, that's either a double degree, mm-hmm. uh, double science degree, or a degree and a master's degree. So you're definitely degree qualified. Yes. In my own case, I went to Adelaide University and completed a major in anatomy, uh, completing physiology, physics, neuroanatomy, biochemistry, and then completed a two-year master's uh, program at Macquarie University, which included neurology, human biomechanics, radiographic physics, radiology, and extensive just hands-on training, obviously, for our skill set. The clinical training. The clinical training, yeah. yeah. Um, Well, that sounds pretty convincing. And the second myth, chiropractors are not regulated. Yes, well, we are regulated by APRA, um, which is the Australian Health Practitioners Regulation Agency. And that is also the same agency that regulates general practitioners, mm-hmm. physiotherapists, dietitians, nutritionists, yeah. um, midwives. All the, the allied health. Yes, yeah, so we're under mm-hmm. the same umbrella as everyone else. Yeah. Finally, chiropractors only treat backs. Is that true or false? Well, we do treat backs. Uh, chiropractors have a really wide scope of practice and um, we can really contribute positively to a wide range of neuromusculoskeletal disorders. We certainly uh, diagnose and treat conditions of the spine, Mm -hmm. but we also have really strong knowledge and competence in treating the peripheral joints, which is more like your wrist, elbows, arms, knees. Um, We also address the connective tissues of the body, such as tendons. Um, And there's plenty of conditions that are influenced by how our body works. So the spine, Mm -hmm. such as um, headaches, disequilibrium or dizziness are influenced by those things. So we're really well trained in those to be able to recognize them and to either triage or treat. Yeah. And the thing is that as a non-medical person, I always think, well, everything's connected up somehow. So you can't just treat one thing and ignore the rest of the body, can you? No, no, you can't. You you really do. And chiropractors like general practitioners, we are... You know, in part, we have a deep knowledge in certain areas, but we also need to be generalists and and look at the whole body as a whole, not just at the part that the person's coming in with. Yes, yes, because I imagine sometimes the person might present with a sore, I don't know, foot, for example, but it could be caused by something in the knee joint or... um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Mm. we can talk about that a bit later, Mm. I think. So, well, let's talk about what chiropractors do now that we've busted some myths. So... Tell us then, what are the main areas of expertise of chiropractors? I think, Amanda, it's really important to know, and this is what I think a lot of people don't understand about chiropractors, is that we're primary health care practitioners, number one. And this carries an incredible responsibility of diagnosis, triage and management. Mm -hmm. So what this means is when you first attend the chiropractor, they have a responsibility to reason through your presentation. Yeah. I'll give you an example. So when the patient presents with a particular problem, say a left-sided upper back pain uh, and arm pain, it doesn't automatically mean that that's a musculoskeletal problem. Mm -hmm. 
So we take a detailed history and might find the patient has shortness of breath on exertion and is feeling fatigued a little bit more often than they, th they thought. So we also take, do a detailed organic orthopedic and neurological examination. Um, and this, we might find some high blood pressure, slightly raised heart rate and respiration rate. The patient's history might also indicate that they have a family history of cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. So in this case, certainly the possibility that a cardiovascular problem is causing the pain in the upper back right. remains a possibility. Yeah. So in this particular case, instead of there being treatment delivered, then we would ring the general practitioner or if it, we thought it was more urgent, the ambulance and yeah. send them off to hospital. Right. So that's what you mean by triage, is it? You that, sort of, yeah, that's yeah. correct. So it's mm. really important that I think people understand that when you come to see any health professional, really, we should all be doing that, that the differential, differential diagnosis of musculoskeletal disorders is a skill that we are really well trained in. Yeah. Yeah. So over the many years, I've had lots of presentations masquerading as musculoskeletal problems. I've had strokes present. I've had patients, many patients with cancer come in that it's all undiagnosed. Goodness. I've had, you know, there's things like shingles, gout, um, fractured bones that people don't know that they're there, uh, just to name a few, really. So once the chiropractor has the diagnosis and the condition is amenable to treatment, mm -hmm. then we go ahead and make that treatment. Yeah, it's sure. It's not predetermined that you just turn up and get treatment. Yeah. But I imagine sometimes the patient might require treatment from you and a GP or, Correct. you know, in combination. Right. Yeah. Mm. As part of the treatment, this is something I'm curious about myself, of the musculoskeletal system. Mm. You are known for spinal manipulation. And I think to the lay person that can sound a little bit scary. Yeah. So can you explain to me what what that is, how that treatment works? I mean, obviously it depends on the problem, but... Well, in basic terms, what is spinal manipulation? Yeah, so spinal manipulation or adjustments that are often known, mm -hmm. people who see chiropractors probably have heard that term more from, but they're pretty interchangeable. So, And it's the primary tool that we use. So chiropractors have a wide range of tools, but adjustments or manipulation is the main one. Um, and in fact, within our profession, there's 70 different registered, different types of manipulation or adjustments. So that's why you can right. see such a wide range of tools that we use. So, yep. um, but a manipulation or an adjustment is a, is a really small force that's placed upon a joint mm -hmm. in a particular plane of movement. Um, commonly, it's in the plane of movement that is restricted or is limited. And the force is always very low, but mm -hmm. may include a very fast movement, right. which is really important to know. Um, sometimes it can be a very slow movement, but over a long time, or a very fast movement over a very short time. You might have heard too, I don't know if you've heard that, that you get a little popping sound. Yeah, I wanted to ask sound. you about yeah. that. What, what's that? Well, that's the, the noise. I don't know if you've ever just got your finger and pulled it and hear that. Yeah, that's called yeah. a cavitation. And what we know is that inside a joint, there's fluid. Um, and that's called synovial fluid. And when we uh, decompress or the joint, that the uh, nitrogen gas that was in solution comes out into a gas. Ah. And it's that energy transfer that causes that cracking sound or the popping sound that people hear. So it's not dangerous at all. So my, my 
daughter cracks her fingers all the time. Yes. <laughs> uh, the noise, I find the noise um, kind of like, you know, nails down a blackboard actually, but so it's not bad for her. No. Yeah. It would, if I think if, yeah, this is, this is actually quite a common question actually. Yeah. Um, it would seem though, if you continued to do it, that you're putting stretches onto the joint right. and may cause over a long period of time, right. some laxity, if you just repetitively did it day after day. But I certainly haven't seen anyone come in and say, look, I was cracking my joint forever and now I have this problem. Right. I've never okay. had that in my 23 oh, years of practice. So that's I comforting. think it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think she knows she's doing it half the time. No. So, Russell, you've told us a bit about um, manipulations or adjustments. So, how then does that actually help the patient? How does it work in the in the client's body? Oh, look, that's that's a really good question, Amanda. So, I think um, to describe how an adjustment or a manipulation works, we need to sort of go back a little bit and do a little bit of anatomy and neuroanatomy. I think that'd be good. And, we don't have pictures, so we're going to have to use our imagination okay. as best we can. So let's imagine that we have a basic joint in the body. So imagine your two fists mm-hmm. and, and you clench up your fists and you put them just close together enough that on the surfaces of those wrists, there's two shiny cartilages. Yeah. You remember mm-hmm. if you've ever seen a dog bone or anything like that, it's that really white shiny cartilage yeah. and that sits in between. There's a little gap and there's fluid sitting in there. Then what we've got wrapped around that is a capsule. Um, and that holds all of that fluid in. What's that made of, the capsule? The capsule is collagen fibers. Collagen, yeah. okay. Yep. And that capsule keeps all of that fluid nicely and nice and tight. Mm-hmm. And then around that, we have some very powerful ligaments. They're the w- big, white, strong structures that hold the joint together. Then we have, beyond that, we have muscles that transcend across the joint. Mm-hmm. And at the, each end of those muscles, we have some tenders that tether it to the muscle. Yep. And of course... As we all know, muscles move joints. Now, the important thing here is that now we have that structure in our head of of the joint system is the neurological system. So built into the capsule around the joint and built into the ligaments and into the muscles themselves are these really special sensors. And they're stretch receptors and they're mechanoreceptors or they detect pressure and movement. Um, And these sensors... Uh, report via nerves back into your spinal cord and up into your brain Mm -hmm. information about where the joint is in space, how fast it's moving, uh, which direction it's going. So we can sort of demonstrate that um, by if you close your eyes and put your arm out and and bring your finger back to your nose and take it back out again. So you can see we can't see where our arm's going, yep. but the sensors in the fingers, in all the joints of the fingers, the arm, all coordinate those joints yep. back and forward so we know where we are in space. Yeah. Yep. So that's a really important part of what we do as chiropractors. We engage that sensory system. So when when we engage that sensory system, there's, there's four main effects that an adjustment has. So when we place that small force onto the joint and move it into the direction, as we said, into mm-hmm. the direction of where the joint may be restricted, we engage those sensors and they fire off, sending messages back into the spinal cord and then again up into the brain. But the first thing that it does is when you activate those mechanoreceptors and the stretch receptors in the muscles, the muscle spindles, and you fire them off, they send a message into that spinal cord and they inhibit pain. Right. So that's the first thing that adjustment manipulation does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a really important part. So that's what 
most people present to me with. Yeah, pain. with, with so, pain. Mm. Yeah. So the second thing that happens is when a joint has been injured, um, the joint often swells up. Yeah. And as a part of that swelling, there's inflammation. And often scar tissue gets set down around the joint, which can limit its range of motion. Yes. And that scar tissue is commonly around the ligaments and capsules. So when we place that small force into the joint, that scar tissue can be broken down and okay. changed into the line of force of the joint. So the joint can fully move again. The other big effect that um, an adjustment or manipulation has is when we engage those sensory receptors that are built into the joint and the mm -hmm. muscles is that when you do, especially when you do a very fast movement over a very small distance, it sends that message back into the spinal cord, up to the brain. And just a brief interlude, the background noise you can hear is the Tokyo Olympics men's basketball, the Boomers versus the USA playing off to get into the gold medal game and that... That's my son cheering. So we've been glued to the Olympics in this house. And now back to adjustments or manipulations. <laughs> Which then comes back down and changes muscle tension. So often when we have a sore okay. joint, part of that soreness is the increased tension or tone in the muscle. And that's part of what's causing the pain. So yes. when you adjust someone or move that joint very quickly that message is sent back in up to the brain which relaxes the muscles down that's so interesting mm. because it sounds like there's i mean as a patient i didn't really understand what was going on mm. but um i now see why the results are as they are What's interesting to me is it's not, I thought it was a much more mechanical thing. I didn't realize there was sort of talking to the brain. <laughs> no. Yeah, well, most of what we do mm. is very neurological. Yeah. Obviously, the breaking down of scar tissue yeah. is a very local effect, but most of what we do is actually quite a global effect on the body. And that sort of leads me to the, the last point of what an adjustment does is it really helps improve smooth, coordinated joint movement. And how it does that is that you can imagine all of those sensors that live in the joint and in the muscles and then the tendons around the joint. They're like, can you, um, they're like the satellites that go around the world mm -hmm. providing information yeah. for our mapping and for you know Google Earth so that we can see. Now, what can happen is when a joint doesn't move very well anymore, those sensors are not activated very well. So what that means is it's like taking out some of those satellites and then if we were trying to follow the map where those satellites were taken out, it wouldn't be as good. Yeah. So then what we know happens is that the joint movement with those sensors uh, being not activated as well is, well is more poorly coordinated. And when you have a more poorly coordinated joint, there's more chance that it's going to injure itself. Yeah. And we see that so commonly. You know, patients will come in and see me and they've got a really sore part in their body and they go, I just didn't do anything. I was doing, or I was just doing something that I do every day yeah. and now I'm really sore. And that's what we suspect is underlying um, that injury that we really don't know what's happened. Yeah. It sounds also a bit like we're, or you're waking up the brain's pathways yeah. where they haven't been activated enough. Correct. And that's, we, you see that um, probably a really good example is that when soldiers are on the parade ground and they uh, have to stand and stand very still for up to hours on end you'll start to see them fainting 
quite a lot. And part of that is that when we're not moving, we're not engaging all of these senses that live all over the body mm -hmm. uh, and fire information back into the brain, keeping it nice and active. And in their case, it's not ramping up the cardiovascular system to keep the blood supply to the brain properly because there's no activity. So the brain, the, the, it, there's not this neurological firing yeah. keeping that pump pumping it up so then we just drop to the ground gosh well i think that's a good reason to not get soldiers to stand for hours on end i think it is a really good reason <laughs> russell what are some of the most common issues you see personally in your practice with with your patients what would you say would be say the top two or three things oh look certainly spine-based pain is the most mm. common thing that presents to me um, and, you know, and, and in terms of diagnosis of what that is, you know, um, cervical and lumbar disc injuries, uh, facet joint sprains and strains, sacroiliac joint sprain strains, which is the, the big joint in your pelvis. Yeah. Uh, but essentially sprain and strain of most joints in the body is what I generally see. Yep. Yeah. Are they often exercise related or is it just a whole mixed bag? Oh, there's a whole mixed bag. Yeah. yeah. I think grandparents syndrome is the biggest one we see at the moment, you know, where grandparents are looking after them and chasing the little kids around <laughs> and you know, they're just not used to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, at least they've got someone they can see. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, and Russell, uh, in the interest of um, listeners' health, could you tell us or give us some tips on Looking after our musculoskeletal health, um, what are some things we, we should be doing and why is it important to do so? Oh, look, I, I, my big mantra here is, um, you know, participating in constructive exercise and all movement is the yeah. key. Because really as chiropractors and physiotherapists, um, podiatrists and people in allied health working towards that, our job is to take the barrier away to allow someone to move and to exercise. Yeah. And there is no doubt in my mind that keeping someone moving frequently and often mm -hmm. is the greatest health benefit we can give anyone. Yeah, for sure. What happens if um, someone doesn't look after themselves in that way as they age? What would happen to the musculoskeletal system? Well, there's a process called deconditioning, which is what we see commonly. So mm -hmm. when you're not very active, um, the body just down-regulates the cardiovascular system, the size of the muscles. Yeah. Um, the joints of the body really need to be kept moving to yeah. keep that healthy synovial fluid going, keep the ligaments mm -hmm. on length, tendons on length. And really what we see is just increasing immobility. And yeah that you know you, you see that in people they're not able to get down to their shoes anymore or they're not be able to reach up without hurting themselves so it really is just a deconditioning process yeah. when we don't exercise the the less you do the harder it is to get moving again isn't it it just seems oh, absolutely. like a yeah. downward spiral perhaps yeah and, mm. and it, it's that classic saying um use it or lose use it. it or lose yeah, it and yeah effectively our muscles will if we don't use them they just keep getting smaller and yeah. smaller and they just come down to the very baseline same with our brains right Apparently so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, probably one of the other important areas in maintaining good musculoskeletal health is is addressing any of that pain that is in your frame. Yeah. And getting onto that fairly early. I think, unfortunately, we see a lot of people coming in quite late. And because they have had carried an injury for a long time, they have deconditioned over a long period of time. Mm. So what happens then is when, as we start to try and restore that motion, they just don't have the fitness 
to quickly get back. And that can be quite devastating. Yeah, yeah. So for anyone who's listening, don't ignore any of those little pains or niggles. Yeah, <laughs> Have absolutely. them seen to. Um, and my personal experience at Smart Health where I see Russell is that there's a great collaboration between Russell and my physio that I see there, Greg Campbell. They speak to each other and work in tandem to treat me. And I really like this collaborative practice, which I believe is is deliberate. So can you tell us, Russell, about the benefits of that collaborative approach to treating a patient? Oh, look, there's just so many benefits to being collaborative, um, Amanda, I think. And look, I I might go back a little bit in time. Um, I was very fortunate. To, to meet Greg, who you've met, mm-hmm. and Mark Johnson, who started Smart Health way back 20-plus years ago. And uh, we had a patient in common. Uh, and together um, we, we communicated and we saw a, a much more, a much improved result over, I think, what we felt we would normally get with this type of client. Yeah. And that really um, triggered us to start to think about different perspectives from different people and how we could put that together to improve a patient outcome. Yeah. Um, so Smart Health, at Smart Health, we have a really patient-centered approach and because patient outcomes have to be your highest priority. So collaboration is really important. And what it really means is, I think, as, an, as a chiropractor, let's put an example in here, as a chiropractor, the more I know about what someone else does, so GPs, mm-hmm. specialists, physiotherapists, and we all have special areas. So the more you know about what other people can do and you understand how they diagnose and treat people, that when you get that presentation, you can look at that patient and consider what then might be the best. So sure, I might be able to manage that patient, and but I because I know so many other people and have talked to so many other people and tried to understand what it is they do, someone else might be better for that job. And I think it's incumbent on all health professionals to pass that person on to who they think can do the best job and get the best outcome. Yeah. I think that's what true collaboration is. I think it's not just referring the patient off. I think that's part of collaboration, but I think genuinely as a healthcare professional, understanding what it is that's going on, but not only from your own frame of reference, but from lots of other different health professionals. And as you go along in practice, you can develop that. Yeah, I'm sure you must get better and better at that as you get more experience. But maybe in your case, Amanda, I think too, what we've also seen is that sometimes a combined care approach is the best outcome. Yeah, it would certainly help me, Mm, which is good. It certainly, Mm. look, I've, I've... I've loved working with physiotherapists and have done pretty much my, my entire practice life. And the biggest benefit I see is the, the physiotherapist's skill in managing muscle issues. Mm. And what we know is, and as we talked about earlier, that when we place a force on a joint and we move it very quickly and we stimulate the, uh, those sensors to relax the muscle, what I know is that if that muscle is in really good condition before I get to it, my work works better. Yeah. That's a really good place to ask then. We've talked about collaboration. I would really like to understand for myself and I think for people listening, uh, what is the distinction and also, of course, possible overlap between what chiropractors and physiotherapists do? Oh, that's a great question. 
Mostly we all manage pretty similar conditions. But what it is that's different is our our viewpoint and our approach. Mm-hmm. Obviously, chiropractors have the adjustment or the manipulation tool, and physiotherapists are really good with exercise, managing muscles, dealing with tendons. Yeah. So I look at it like two circles that cross across one another. So yeah. we cross across quite closely. In is that, that a Venn diagram? <laughs> I'm not too sure. <laughs> My mass is a long way back. But that sort of, you know, that, uh, yeah. that oval shape. Meeting in, in the, the middle. middle. Mm. Yeah, but then... I look at it and stand back from that. And then when we cross across both of those, we've got all of those circles looking across that one patient. Yeah. And I think that's the real benefit. Um, I don't think any, whether it's physios are better than chiropractors, I don't think it works that way. I think it's what really the patient needs at that time. And then the application of treatment that the physio and the chiropractor have. And the better place that is with the patient, that's where we get our great outcomes. Yeah. So, Russell, the impression I get when I come to see you is that you really enjoy your practice. So what do you like about being a chiropractor? I certainly get to meet a really wide variety of lovely people. That's number one. Mm -hmm. And then I think I really love the detective work of, you know, nutting out the diagnosis and then making that reasoned uh, treatment plan. Yeah. Um, that, that really inspires me. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is the journey that you travel with the patient yep. over time. And I think that's the great privilege and probably you know, a great example of that is a lovely uh, patient that came to see uh, Greg Campbell, physiotherapist, and I for... Uh, upper back and some chest pain and at the time she was three months pregnant and uh, five five years and three months earlier she'd been diagnosed with breast cancer oh right and had uh, and that was just after her first child Um, then she had um, a lumpectomy Mm -hmm. radiotherapy and chemotherapy and she was given the all clear at five years to Uh, have another child and which which they did um and then as uh greg and i were looking after over a few weeks uh, we became incredibly suspicious that instead of this being a musculoskeletal problem there was a fair chance that it was an organic problem we were quite concerned that it was metastatic cancer Mm -hmm. um the uh, of course this is quite a challenge when you're pregnant yeah of um, course for any investigations and uh, we referred her back to her oncologist um, who probably was nowhere near as concerned with us because only three or four months earlier she'd been completely cleared. Yeah. She had all the bone scans, had everything done, um, but did offer to the client that she could have a CT scan, which is something you would never do with someone who's pregnant yeah. because of the radiation. Yeah. Um, and she was regressing quite significantly over a couple of weeks and she chose to have that and unfortunately um, she found that there was metastatic lesions in the bones of her ribs her spine her her lungs it was and so we uh, and she was in quite a lot of pain so Mm. between Greg and I we're still able to manage her Um, interestingly she had chemotherapy while she was pregnant right uh, which is just amazing I didn't even know that was a thing and then she subsequently she had the baby very healthy baby amazingly good yeah which was fantastic and then um, because the the cancer that was in her sternum 
which is at the front mm-hmm. here, and the ribs were so significant, they uh, did a world first. They 3D printed her sternum yeah. in titanium and the ribs out to her mid-nipple line there. Yeah. And uh, three weeks after she gave birth, she went in and had an operation and had all of the front ribs cut out and all of her sternum. And they wired in this titanium sternum. So it was the first and it had never been done. Amazing. Yeah. So they discharged her from hospital, but she was still in incredible pain because obviously your ribs, when you breathe in, expand and contract. Mm. And of course, a titanium sternum doesn't do this. And so she uh, represented to Greg and I, and we managed her... Um, really with no knowledge about how to deal with this particular, how much force could we put on it. We really didn't have a lot of understanding, but she was an incredibly patient patient and (laughs) quite a funny patient. And we we were encouraging her to be a stand-up comedian now. (laughs) She'd actually be a really good interview for you, Amanda. I might put her on to you. Yeah, please do. Uh, I will. Yeah, she's incredibly funny. But look, we we, we got through that and I think we uh, emailed her, obviously, to get permission to talk about this today because she's quite identifiable being the first person and it was the fourth anniversary yesterday of her having the the titanium sternum put in that is absolutely Uh, amazing she's going really well now wow oh that's a that's a well it's a sad story but it it does have a nice happy ending thank goodness it does have and the the modern uh drugs that she's on have are keeping the cancer at bay it's still there but it's not getting any worse and she's got some gorgeous children she has Mm. and the young fellow that was in her tummy is doing amazingly well wow what a story i guess that sums up why you love what you do because you get to be involved in things like that and absolutely look it's a privilege being inside uh, along the journey with that and because there was many challenging time many tears um, you know, you can imagine what the family's trying to do oh, around gosh, this and just yeah. being a part of that is, is an absolute privilege. Mm, yeah, it certainly sounds like it. And Russell, back to the topic of collaboration and a physiotherapist and a chiropractor communicating about a patient. That has certainly worked for me in the last year or so. It's the first time I've done the two treatments, the chiropractor and physio together. And it has, I mean, you do both do different things to <laughs> treat me differently. And the combination of that yeah. has kept me running. <laughs> Yay. So we love keeping runners running. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do. And the reason for that is because you love running. <laughs> I do love running, yeah. Amanda. Uh, Russell is, a, is an accomplished trail runner. It, so we, we do share that passion. And, and as we've mentioned before, we, we're both coached by Nick Muxlow. A wonderful running coach. He's he's amazing, and he's been a guest twice on this show. And Russell is currently reading his book, "Get Run Fit: Improve Your Running, Finish with a Smile." So, Russell, how long have you been pounding the trails for? I've probably been running since my thirties, but not really seriously. Probably until the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why did you become more serious recently? It's is it because your children have grown up or yep, you have a bit more time? Yeah, yeah, just more time is allowed, especially for ultra-distance running where yeah. you need a lot of time to be able to get out. And the, the same things happen to me. I've been able to do longer races 
when, um, I mean, these days I can go for a run on Sunday and get home and the kids are still in bed. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, my kids come for a run with me now, which is pretty amazing. And oh, they're so much good. better than me. So I'll keep that. will keep you, um, keep pushing you. That's good. So, and what do you enjoy most about trail running? Oh, look, it's for me, it's, it's, it's getting out into nature. Yeah, that's the best bit. It's yeah. this lovely excuse to spend extended periods of time running out in the bush. And I think the other thing that really keeps me out there is this desire to, as I get older, to get faster over yep. the longer distances. Obviously, I'm slower in, in the sort of sprint and faster races, but I think it's possible to continue to get faster over the longer races. Oh, that's good mm. to know. I'm going to try and see if I can prove if that's right or wrong. And tell us about your latest long race that you did. Oh, that was amazing, Amanda. It was the uh, Ultra Trail Australia event in Sydney um, in the Blue Mountains. And it's pretty amazing. It has, well, it's 100 kilometres and it had 4,000 metres of up. Wow. And 4,000 metres of down or 4,400 metres of yeah. down and up. Lots and lots of stairs, um, most amazing country you've ever seen, and it's incredibly challenging. Yeah, it sounds really tough. And how long did it take you to complete it? Over the... 20 hours. Can you imagine that, being on your feet for people listening for 20 hours? <laughs> yeah. Well, not just being on your feet, moving, <laughs> running yeah. for 20 hours. It, it goes like it's about four or five hours, though, strangely. You don't, I, the perception of time seems to disappear. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Are you going to do that again, do you think? I would love to do yeah. that again. Yeah. I guess it's COVID dependent. You were lucky that you oh, got to absolutely. do it. Absolutely. We missed out the year before. Mm. And yeah, so hopefully next May. And so you've sort of answered this, but I'll ask it another way. What motivates you to keep running? Oh, look, it's definitely, I love staying fit. Yeah. And I think as a part of my job as, as a chiropractor, uh, keeping your musculoskeletal system healthy yeah. seems like a a reasonable thing to do um, yeah yeah and I like to participate in the sport that I can and also you know go through the same challenges that my patients do mm. you know it's not just free free uh, you know that I can go on and be injury free I have to put a lot of work yeah. into maintaining that especially when you're doing so much running and so you know, I access physios chiros doctors radiologists specialists yeah same sort of thing and it really does help me understand how patients feel yeah no that's interesting seeing being on the other side of the equation isn't it it's it's probably good for all health professionals i think so to do yeah. that and certainly mm. when you when you've had an injury and been laid up and feel the frustration yeah. that's it's a really valuable thing yeah and what's next on your running calendar well i'm going to be doing the yirrabilla uh, Ultra 56 here yeah. in Adelaide, which is just a beautiful yeah. course, and I love doing that one. See you out there. Yeah, I'm doing I'm that one to too. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Russell, to wrap up, who inspires you? Oh, look, I've got, I've got quite a few people. Certainly my dad was a big inspiration in my life, um, and he, he came out from Ireland when he was 13 by himself. By land, himself? Yeah, was sent out by, by his father. Um, landed in Tasmania, worked on farms to support himself, and wow. then um, got into the Victorian Police Force and became a career detective. Yep. So that, that really is inspirational when you listen to that story. Um, then all the health professionals that I work with really continually inspire me, especially the young ones and their the incredible knowledge and their enthusiasm to care mm. for patients. Yeah. 
and you know then my beautiful boys have yeah. two boys and my lovely wife are constantly inspiring me so yeah I have it from lots of different directions yeah. oh that's lovely I think one of the things about being in the health industry is that there is so much knowledge all the time like there is new knowledge coming out all the time and keeping up with that and being engaged with other health professionals. I mean, that is inspiring in itself, isn't it? Oh, my yeah. word it is. Yeah. Mm. And it's just, it's amazing just to watch uh, the intelligence and what people have worked through. So sometimes I think research is also is behind the clinical observations that yeah. are being seen and being utilized. Um, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that it's quite local that clinical intelligence that's yep. coming out is only what you're exposed to and the others that you're exposed to so and that's what's so wonderful working in a large practice like i do yeah. with 20 plus health professionals we're getting that all the time and sharing that yeah which hopefully is elevating us all to be better oh that's great and final question russell if you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well-being what would they be I think I'll go back to where we were before. Exercise yeah. is so important. Exercise frequently and often or just moving is just so important. And um, and don't ignore a pain because if that stops you moving and then we just start to decondition yeah. and roll off. And it just beca- it's harder and harder to get back, isn't it? It sure is, yeah. yeah. And, and look, and I don't see any age limitation with improving either. Yeah. I have many patients in their 70s, 80s and 90s who continue to move well. Yeah. It, you know, it, there's, there isn't a limitation to of age in progressing. Yeah. Oh, that's great to hear because I think that um, a lot of people fear getting older, but if you look after yourself and keep moving... My word. And mm. I think that's a common theme yeah. I, I see amongst my older patients that are very mobile and still quite fit is, and that's why my mantra is exercise frequently and often, yeah. because that's what they've done and they're going pretty well. So if someone wants to um, come and see you or find out more about what you do, Russell, what's the best way for them to contact you? Oh, probably the best way is to go on to the Smart Health mm-hmm. uh, website and yeah. you can get all of our contact details there. Great. Um, and I'll put links to that in the show notes, oh, obviously. That's lovely. Thank you, Amanda. Great. Well, thank you so much. I feel like I've learned quite a lot today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm much appreciated. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Amanda. And that was Adelaide-based chiropractor, Dr. Russell Hanna. Thank you for listening today. I hope that you have a better understanding now of what chiropractors do. I certainly have. And that you found today's interview interesting. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. And that's really valuable to me. So thank you very much if you take the time to do that. And if you'd like to subscribe to my podcast, you can do that on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and also on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast and DM me or contact me via my website if you'd like to suggest topics you want to learn more about or if you'd like to suggest someone you'd like me to interview and I will do my best to deliver. Thank you so much for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.